Hello and welcome to episode number 85 of the Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and joining me, as always, is Tony Pauline, as we wrap up our 2019 conference previews with the back half of the Pac-12. College football week one is also in the books, so we'll look ahead to a couple games on the week two slate and break down what we'll be watching from a scouting standpoint. Football is officially back, right, Tony? It is for us, and it is for the draft world, that's for sure. An exciting week one on the college football schedule, which started with the, uh, with the Thursday night games, ended on Monday evening. Um, it's going to get even crazier uh, this week because, you know, what happens is a lot of the teams uh, take on an easy opponent their first week, and, and now you're going to start to really get into some conference play, which should be exciting. Absolutely. And if you listen to our last episode, episode 84, we went over all the Pac-12 draft results from the 2019 draft. Before we get into the back half of the conference, though, we do have a quick word from our sponsor. You know, Chris, it's a new season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders complaining about his helmet. Le'Veon Bell is with the New York Jets, although he hasn't taken a snap during the preseason. And Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. And to his credit, really, you know, keeping his mouth shut. But, you know, Chris, the one thing that hasn't changed, where people are putting their money down on all the games. MyBookie.com is the place to bet on football every weekend. MyBookie.com has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sportsbook, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000. We all know everyone can use 100K, and it only costs $100 to enter. You must be 21 or older to bet. All you have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. Now, I recommend go to my bookie and sign up for the super contest or the entire season. They will double your first deposit up to $1,000 if you use the promo code DRAFT to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T, when creating your account to claim that bonus. MyBookie offers live in-game betting on every NFL game. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet on the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. They support us. We use them. We like them. And we think you guys should too. Bet. Win. Get paid. Now we'll start here with the Stanford Cardinal. Four straight seasons of at least nine wins. They've won four of their past five bowl game appearances. They also had five players drafted in April, one in each round from rounds two to round six. They may be able to fill in with a first-round pick in 2020. Tackle Walker Little was named first-team All-Pac-12 as a sophomore. Back in 2017, he was the first Stanford true freshman to start a game at left tackle since 2000. He's six foot seven, 309 pounds. Once he adds some bulk to that frame that does have some growth potential there, watch out for Little. You know, Chris, after Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon, and LaVisca Chenault, the receiver from Colorado, who we spoke about in our last podcast, uh, Walker Little is the only other Pac-12 prospect who I have stamped as a first-rounder, and I think he's an outstanding offensive tackle. I I think he's got great upside. You watch him on film, he's not the flashiest guy, but he blocks with tremendous fundamentals bends his knees, uses his hands well, keeps his feet moving. What impressed me was not only how he was able to shut down opposing defensive linemen, 
but how he stopped speedy edge rushers, able to adjust his body and knock him from the angle of attack, solid blocking in motion. As you said, you know, eventually he'll add bulk to his frame, which will, will improve his run blocking. He's a very good player now, a first-round prospect on my board now, and he's got a great amount of upside. Now, Little's going to be tasked with protecting the blind side of quarterback K.J. Costello. Costello was a second-team All-Pac-12 selection. He was actually the highest-rated QB in the conference if you go by passer rating, 65.1 completion percentage, 29 touchdowns, and 11 picks last season. He wrestled the quarterback job away from Keller Christ back in 2017. Costello has ideal size, 6'5", 222 pounds. He's got a big arm and enough athleticism to maneuver within the pocket, get outside a little bit. He's not going to make big plays on scrambles, but he's got functional athleticism, which is kind of a baseline for the modern NFL quarterback these days with the pass rushers that the league has seen and kind of the drop-off in offensive line play. Tony, I know you like Costello more than most. What intrigues you about his game? Well, basically everything you just said about him. I, I mean, in my opinion, he's just a, he's a quarterback who's a step below Justin Herbert. He's very athletic, not as athletic as Herbert. He's got an excellent arm, not as good an arm as Herbert. You can probably say he's more consistent with his accuracy. I love his poise. I love his patience. You know, obviously he's got a good offensive line in front of him, like we just talked about Walker Little. Uh, but but I, his ability to make plays in or out the pocket, he's patient in the pocket does a good job spreading the ball around to all of his targets. Scouts have him right now as a fourth rounder. I have him as a third rounder. Like you said, the size, the arm strength, and the upside, plus playing in that Stanford system, which is an NFL-type system which uses two tight ends, which uses a fullback, I think puts him ahead of the curve. Now, speaking of upside, the Cardinals do feature an exciting underclassman on defense as well, and that's quarterback Paulson Adebo. Like Little, he was a first-team all-Pac-12 pick. As a sophomore, he's a preseason All-American heading into the 2019 season. His 24 passes defended last year, led the nation, 20 pass breakups and four interceptions. He's also solid in run support, 6'1", 190, so got good size and length for a corner. Still a bit raw, but he offers everything you want in a high-level quarterback prospect. Except the fact he really struggles making plays with his back to the ball. I've seen Adebo graded as a potential uh, top half or mid-first round choice. I disagree at this point. Love his physical skills. There's no doubt about it. He's a big, tall, strong cornerback who defeats opponents. But my issue with him is too much face guarding. Doesn't show the ability to get his head back around, make plays when his back is to the ball. He's really got to iron that out. I have him as a second rounder. I agree he's got the upside, but there's a lot of details in his game that he really has to polish before I'm going to give him a first-round grade. Now head to USC here. The Trojans were 5-7 and seven in 2018. That snapped a six-year bowl streak, which the only reason it wasn't longer than six years was because of the 2010 and 2011 sanctions levied on the program from the improper benefits that were given to former running back and Heisman Trophy winner Reggie Bush back in the early 2000s. USC did have four 2019 draft picks, only tackled Chuma Adoga to the Jets, went in the top 100. 2020 for them might not include a first or second day pick, though. Leading receiver Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy who feels like he's really been around forever. He was definitely a hype recruit. Obviously, he has the NFL bloodlines. Two-year starter, led the team in receiving last year, 41 catches, 758 yards, and six touchdowns. He's also occasionally used in the return game. He's six foot four, 220 pounds. Receives a day two grade from scouts, but he reportedly times in the four sixes in his 40-yard dash, which is going to hurt his draft stock. Tony, is Pittman a day two guy for you? 
I think he's on the cusp. I know a lot of people really like him a lot. I've got him more as a fourth, fifth round type of prospect. And it's because, you know, he looks good on college film because he's so big and he's so much more physical and he wins out for the contested throws. But as you said, you know, he's a guy who's expected to run in the four sixes and we've seen receivers his size that have run in the four fives, the mid four fives who don't, don't even make it into the second round. You look at a Hakeem Butler, you look at Alan Lazard and really I know that uh, the USC offense has had its struggles, but 41 receptions is not a big number for a guy that's supposed to be a big possession receiver. So he's got some decent size. Uh, he's got solid hands, the quickness, the speed, you know, are questionable to me, and I really think he's got to elevate his game. Now, Pittman's teammate, junior Tyler Vaughns, has been a starter since his redshirt freshman season. Over the past two years, he has 115 receptions for 1,483 yards and 11 touchdowns. He's smaller than Pittman at 6'2", 185, but he is the main punt returner for USC as well. He's a smooth receiver, good with the ball in his hands. Tony, you like Vaughns more than Pittman, right? almost a full round more because of the versatility, because of the fact that he's quicker, because of the fact that he can get separation through his routes and his speed, whereas Pittman is more a guy who's just going to physically beat down opponents. I think that Vaughn's is more of a plug-and-play type of receiver that can be used in a, in a variety of uh, offensive sk- schemes. You can use him in the slot. You can use him in the flanks. As you mentioned, he's a terrific uh, a return specialist. He's very dangerous uh, when the ball is in his hands, he's got a, a great amount of upside. I just like his versatility and the fact that, you know, he's more in tune with today's NFL game because of the additional speed or the speed and quickness factor over his teammate, uh, which, which is why I, I you know, I, I think he projects better into the NFL. Yeah, I mean, five years ago, Pittman may have been the better prospect over Vaughn's, the guy who went a little bit earlier in the draft. But as we've seen the last few years, the league is moving towards guys who can separate with their routes, with speed, whatever it is. However you can separate, that's what the league wants, rather than guys who are strictly contested ball type of players. Vaughn's is definitely uh, you know, a better athlete in the sense that he's going to run much faster in the 40. When you go to those pro day workouts or the combine workouts, even on film, he runs much better routes. And, and that's what you need because you know, it's much easier for Pittman to beat down opponents on the college level, but he's not going to be able to get away with that in the NFL where Vaughn shows the ability to beat opponents in a variety of ways. Now stick on offense here and take a look at tackle Austin Jackson, who's the left tackle opposite of Chuma Adoga last year. That was his first season as a starter. He's got nice size at 6'6", 310. He's a fifth-round grade on our board, but he does have some upside beyond that grade as his game continues to develop. And there are some people who like him as a second-day pick, and I can understand that, but I just want to see him develop. I want to see him take his game to the next level. Blocks with solid fundamentals, shows decent footwork off the edge. I absolutely think, even though I've got him as a fifth-rounder right now, that if he improves his game, you know, we're going to start to grade him as a top 100 pick. It's just going to be a, a wait-and-see type of uh, situation with Jackson. Now, UCLA hasn't won a bowl game since 2014, just one season over 500 since then. They had nobody drafted in April, which should change in 2020, thanks to senior running back Joshua Kelly. He had a workhorse 2018 season at 5'11", 219 pounds, after he transferred from Cal Davis and had to sit out the 2017 season. But he averaged over 20 carries per game, was one of the top rushers in the Pac-12. He actually ran for 289 yards against USC in November, a game UCLA won by a touchdown, so they needed all of that production. 
But Kelly also caught 27 passes, so he shows some ability out of the backfield as a receiver. He has solid speed. Tony, is this an underrated running back or just a good college producer? I actually think he's both, although right now he's struggling with a a knee injury, didn't play in the first game when UCLA lost to Cincinnati. Um, He's got terrific speed. He's a guy who can beat defenders into the open field. He's got excellent short area quickness, a guy who can make defenders miss, solid pass catcher out of the backfield. I I like him as a last-day pick and someone that can make a next-level roster as a third back and basically spell a uh, starter on occasion. So he's a very productive uh, college player when healthy, but I think he projects well. I think he's underrated uh, as a third down situational back. Now our two fifth round grades for the Bruins on our board. One is Kelly. The other is junior Michael Alves, a two year starter at guard, six foot four, 305 pounds. And has been really a big part of the success of Kelly and the UCLA running game of late, but he has a bit limited upside as an NFL prospect, right, Tony? Yeah, that's correct. I actually liked Al's off the 2017 film better than I liked him off the 2018 film. He's a big, tough, small area uh, blocker. He doesn't show great mobility. He's not really good on his feet out on the second level. But if you're looking for a guy to block in a phone booth and really to smash the defender in the mouth and open up those running lanes for a guy like Josh Kelly, Al's is your guy, which is why I project him as a last-day pick, someone who – Maybe could start in the right system, but I think is more of a, a rotational backup uh, offensive guard. Now, Utah had won four straight bowl games before last season's loss to Northwestern in the Holiday Bowl. The Utes had five players drafted in April. Two of them were specialists. They had one offensive player taken, and they should have similar representation in 2020. Running back Zach Moss is the big name for Utah on offense. Second team all Pac-12 last year. Second in rushing yards per game in the conference behind only Arizona State's Eno Benjamin, who we discussed last episode. Moss's season ended in a strange way, though, after nine games. He suffered a knee injury, supposedly getting into bed, but he's 5'10", he's 222 pounds. There was still talk that he was going to enter the draft last year and be a possible day to pick even after that knee injury, but he only had eight catches last season, 29 the year before. So while he didn't show that last year, he has shown ability in the passing game before otherwise he's a complete runner who has inside and outside ability again there was day two hype on him when it was thought he might enter the draft Tony where does he slot in now yeah I heard his knee getting out of bed or I've even read he said it was getting out of the shower so it was something that was very strange Zach Moss is a much more complete version of Josh Kelly of UCLA he's a guy that's got great quickness and the speed to turn the perimeter He's got better vision than Kelly. Uh, he's not as straight line-ish as Kelly in the sense that he's a multi-cut ball carrier. I do think he's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. He's all over the board as far as scouts is con- are concerned. I know that some scouts have graded him as a third rounder. Some have him as a sixth rounder. I right now have him as an early fourth rounder on the cusp of being a, uh, a second-day player. There are some people who believe he can be a feature runner at the next level. I'm not at that point just yet, but I do think he's got a great amount of upside. If he stays healthy this year, I'm sure he's the type of player we'll see at the Senior Bowl come January. Now flipping to the defensive side of the ball here, linebacker Francis Bernard is also carrying a fourth-round grade on our board. Now Bernard has kind of had a long path to Utah, started his career at BYU. A violation of team rules cost him the 2016 bowl game. He didn't play in 2017 due to a violation of the BYU Honor Code. Once he found out the Cougars weren't going to allow him to play that season, he transferred 
ended up at Utah. Shortly after that, ended up getting arrested for a DWI. So he has some issues in his past off the field, but on the field, made a couple of starts last year, was an impact rotational player for Utah, 38 tackles, limited production, but he had some players in front of him on the depth chart, including guys like Cody Barton. So there should be a bigger role for him heading into the 2019 season. Bernard was a guy who, coming into the season, was not even graded by scouts. He was not even mentioned by scouts. But when I watched the Utah film, I saw this linebacker. He's wearing a different number this year. I think, I think it was number 30 last year. Making plays all over the place. Great in pursuit. Great in pass coverage. He did start the Holiday Bowl against Northwestern. And, and he was a knockout. Uh, just had a great game. I mean, was covering receivers uh, that Clayton Thorson was trying to throw the ball to 20, 25 yards down the field and doing a good job of it. And then I did a little more research and I found out about him, but he is a definite NFL prospect that people are absolutely sleeping on. Utah, as you said, has got a lot of good prospects on defense. Bernard right now is my highest rated of them all. I have him as a fourth rounder. We're going to have to wait and see what his true size and speed numbers are. Started off the season hot when he played against his former team, BYU. A lot of tackles. I believe uh, one and a half tackles for loss was all over the field. I mean, this guy is someone who just has a tremendous amount of upside. With the linebackers that Utah graduated last year who are now in NFL camps, Bernard is going to have his opportunity this year, as you said. And I expect him, you know, to come out of nowhere in the sense that no one's talking about him now. But by the end of the year, by the end of the season, as we get closer to uh, the postseason and the Shrine game and the All-Star game, people are going to be talking about Francis Bernard, I believe, as a potential second-day pick. You know, the easiest comparison is to Sione Takitaki, uh, a guy who, like Bernard, was not mentioned by scouts, was not created by scouts entering the 2018 season, had a great year, went to the Shrine game, showed up at the Senior Bowl, ended up as a third-round pick. I think Francis Bernard is kind of rerunning that script. Yeah, I had a similar thought when I was looking Bernard. I said, hey, this story kind of looks similar to Sione Takitaki, but the main difference being that Takitaki ended up staying at BYU. Bernard was forced to leave and take it to another school. But in this case, it's probably better for him to be at Utah than it was for Takitaki to be at BYU. And Takitaki had his off-the-field issues, too, and he was able to straighten himself out. And, you know, he's reaping the benefits of that. And hopefully Bernard will uh, be able to do the same. Absolutely. And Utah has a pair of late-round corners that are worth discussing as well, Julian Blackman and Jalen Johnson. Blackman's a two-year starter, 6'1", 204 pounds, good ball production at corner, five interceptions the past two seasons. He's moving to safety in 2019, so watch how he makes that switch back to the further back level of the secondary. Johnson was a first-team all-Plac-12 selection last year as a sophomore first-year starter. Four interceptions tied for third in the conference. Six foot, 195, so a little bit smaller than Blackman. Tony, who's more intriguing of this duo to you? I think if you actually go by the uh, verified heights and weights, Blackman is a little bit smaller than Johnson. Uh, I think Blackman is a much better football player, but I think Johnson has more NFL size and he's got the better athleticism. I like Blackman a lot. I liked him since he was a sophomore. Uh, he's, he's a versatile guy, not the greatest athlete, but he's a smart player that you can use in zone, you can use in man, you can line him up over the slot receiver. I have him as a last-day pick 
who I think is going to be a very good dime back, special teams player at the next level. Jalen Johnson has more upside. I think Jalen Johnson is the type of guy who could potentially develop into a second-day pick, maybe be a nickelback or starting corner at the next level. But when you watch the film, he's much more unpolished, he's much more unrefined, and he's further away from being NFL-ready than Julian Blackman is. Both good prospects who I think right now you're looking at last-day picks who, you know, depending on how their seasons go and how they finish out their careers, could move up draft boards. Now, one last player who's actually not going to suit up for Utah this season and that's linebacker Manny Bowen. He was a two-year starter at Penn State in 2016 and 2017, got suspended for the 2016 Rose Bowl, and for three games at the end of 2017, was kicked off the team before the Fiesta Bowl for a violation of team rules. This kind of sounds similar to the story we were talking earlier about Francis Bernard, but it does have a different ending because Bowen was reinstated the following year, left the football program to focus on academics, ended up transferring to Utah, participated in spring practice this year. Then he abruptly retired right before training camp. What are your thoughts on the Bowen situation, Tony? You know, I I guess I'm surprised. You know, we've had a lot of surprises right now in football with Andrew Luck and and Manny Bowen, although no one's talking about it, is another surprise to a much lesser degree. Off the 2016 film, I had Manny Bowen great as my number one linebacker at Penn State. I thought he was a potential third, fourth round choice. You mentioned the issues. There was talk that he was going to be back on the field with Penn State last year. It didn't come to fruition. You know, he was graded by scouts. He was given a a free agent grade by scouts, even though he didn't play, hasn't played football in more than a year. Uh, People like myself were excited to see him play. And then I'm told he just walked into the coach's office and said he got a job offer and he was quitting football. So, I mean, you know, more power to him. I hope it works out for him. He was a very talented linebacker. I I had him penned in as a potential late-round pick this year, but he's uh, pursuing other options. I hope it works out for him. Now we'll move to Washington here, which probably is the most loaded team in the Pac-12 year after year. But despite their regular season success of late, They've lost three straight bowl games and four of the last five bowl games they've played in. But they did have eight players drafted in April, four of them in the top 100. That total of eight is actually over 20% of the conference's picks as a whole. But 2020 isn't going to be quite as strong for the Huskies. Tackle Trey Adams last season was the highest graded senior prospect in the nation before the year started. He's a first round talent, but he has late round durability. Really, if we're being honest, he has undraftable durability because he had a knee injury that ended his 2017 season early, a back injury kept him out much of 2018. He returned late in the year, but on the field, he's 6'8", 314. He's powerful. He's athletic. The talent is absolutely there, but it's the medicals that are going to end up determining where he goes next April. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it all. And, and even before uh, the injury of 2017, He played poorly against Rutgers. He's been highly rated by scouts the past two years. He was the highest rated senior coming into the 2018 campaign. He's highly rated again this year. I mean, he's a tall, relatively mobile guy. He shows good footwork. I don't know that he's going to be able to stay at left tackle in the NFL. Uh, But again, you know, regardless of how he plays next year, it's going to come down to what uh, doctors read into those MRIs and the medical exams at the Combine. Being that tall, you know, six seven and change, and that big, it's not good to have a back injury. Although 
when he played at the end of 2018, because they did put him in there for, I believe, for the Washington State game. I believe he also played some during the ball game. He looked pretty good. There's no doubt about it. He's a good player. He's a good blocker. He's got good fundamentals. He's not just a guy who mauls people. He plays with good body positioning, uh, plays smart football as well as tough, aggressive football. He's got an upside, but it's all going to come down to the medicals for Trey Adams. Absolutely. And if Adams is healthy, he's going to protect quarterback Jacob Eason. Now, Eason is a guy way back in 2016, started at Georgia, looked pretty good. 16 touchdowns, eight interceptions, hurt his knee early on in the 2017 season. Then freshman Jake Fromm took over and thrived. By the time Eason was healthy enough to play, the team wasn't turning away from Fromm. So Eason ended up transferring, sat out the 2018 season, and now he's in Washington where he's going to take over the starting role, who was recently named the first-team quarterback. He's got ideal size at 6'6", 227 pounds. The upside is absolutely there with Eason based on his pedigree, based on what we saw from him as a freshman. But he's also two years removed from his last game action. What do you expect to see from Eason this year, Tony? Chris, I honestly don't know what to expect from Eason. I mean, he didn't have a knockout camp as far as we know because he wasn't handed the starter's job until very late uh, into uh, August camp. The bottom line is this. At the top of his game, Jacob Eason is a better pro prospect than his former teammate, Jake Frome. There's no doubt about it. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. I, I mean, he showed some incredible ability and incredible flashes when he was a freshman at Georgia. But after the injury, it's go, it's going all downhill. Now, Chris Peterson, he's a guy who likes to mix it up in his offense. I don't know that Jacob Eason is, is the, the best fit for that offense, but I know he's a real good NFL prospect. He's a real good prospect for the next level. You know, we're going to have to wait and see if he gets back to where he was in 2016 and builds upon that. He's going to be talked about as a guy who's going to be a potential top 45 selection in the NFL draft. I have no doubt about it, but it's a long way to getting from where he was in 2016 to where he is right now in 2019. Now, tight end Hunter Bryant is going to be one of the main targets catching passes from Eason. In 2017, as a true freshman, he had 22 catches for 331 yards and one touchdown, hurt his knee the following offseason, missed most of the 2018 campaign, and when he was finally healthy enough to return, Drew Sample was already well entrenched as a starter. Obviously, was a second-round pick of the Bengals. So Sample's gone now. Bryant has a nice opportunity in front of him. 6'2", 239 pounds, good athlete who can stretch the seam, really fits well with the skill set that Eason brings to the table. So these guys are players who didn't do anything last year. In Eason's case, he didn't do anything two years ago. But they're both players who are going to make a serious impact for Washington. Tony, how do you project Brian's future? When you compare him to Drew Sample, who uh, you know was a terrific player at Washington, we saw him at the Senior Bowl where he performed well. I think Brian is more of your downfield threat. He's more of your pure pass catcher compared to Drew Sample, who wasn't a bad pass catcher, but he just didn't show people a lot of speed on the film. And you know, we were shocked when he ran the, in the low four sevens at the combine. Hunter Brian plays to the low four sevens, not as good a blocker as his former teammate, Drew Sample, but a guy that you can use as a move tight end type, get him down the field, as you say, get him down the seam, and basically use him as a bigger receiver uh, on that second tier of defense in the NFL. Now, another Bryant leads the Huskies' defense, and that's safety, Miles Bryant. Second team, all Pac-12 selection in 2018. 
He's a bit small, five foot eight, 182 pounds. Not a great athlete either, but this guy's just good at football, which in the end might lead him to more of a backup and special teamer profile. We have him graded as a fifth rounder, but this guy can play. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think he's more than a backup. I think he's a guy that you can line up in certain nickel and dime packages. You can put him in zone. You can line him up over the slot receiver just as long as you protect him. He's an outstanding player, and he's, he's a ferocious player too. I mean, he's a guy who throws his body around the field to make plays. Uh, scouts grade him as a free agent. I think he's a draftable guy because of that mentality, because of the productivity, because some defensive coach is going to fall in love with him as well as a special teams coach and say, Hey, listen, you know what? We can use this guy in our dime packages and he can play on coverage teams and he's going to produce on both. Our final team preview of the summer belongs to Washington state Four straight bowl appearances last season. They went 11 and two with transfer Gardner Minshew under center. Minshew was one of two Cougars selected in April's draft along with first rounder Andre Dillard, a favorite of us here on this podcast, but you're not going to find another high pick on this depth chart for the 2020 draft, especially after Jalen Thompson declared for the supplemental draft, was drafted late by the Cardinals. But there are possibly a couple late rounders on the roster. Tackle Abraham Lucas was named second team all Pac-12 last year as a redshirt freshman. He played right tackle opposite Dillard. He's going to stay on the right side in 2019, rightfully so, because he's six foot seven, 325 pounds, great size and strength, really profiles well as a strong side tackle. How do you rate Lucas, Tony? You know, right now I give him a fifth round grade and he doesn't really play like a bigger tackle in the sense that he's not really heavy footed. He doesn't lumber around the field. He blocks with good fundamentals, terrific body positioning, shows the ability to bend his knees and, and get leverage on opponents, which is very important for any offensive lineman. But especially when you're talking about a taller guy, I think he's got a great amount of upside. I gave him a fifth round grade now, but I could absolutely see, you know, if he follows the path of an Andre Dillard and just improves his game, I could see him making a move up draft boards. Now, many thought Lucas for the second straight season was going to end up protecting a grad transfer at quarterback. Obviously, last year it was Gardner Minshew who came over from East Carolina. This year, it was former Eastern Washington quarterback Gage Gabrud, who set FCS and Big Sky records at Eastern Washington, actually threw passes to Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup back in 2016. But it was recently announced that Gabrud lost out to Anthony Gordon for the starting quarterback role. Mike Leach announced very recently. He could still end up making starts this year. Obviously, this could be a fluid situation. But for now, he's holding a clipboard. Tony, what do you think of this situation? Well, I, I mean, I think you got to wait and see. Uh, if Gordon plays well, then Gabrud is not going to see the field. But I remember watching Gabrud, like you said, in, in 2016, throwing the ball Cooper Cup in 2017 for an Eastern Washington uh, school that was regularly – in the FCS uh, playoffs. And I was like, you know, this is a guy to chart. This is a guy to watch. Do I think he's a draft pick? No, but I think you got to wait and see how he does. I could see him, even if he's, he's not on the scouting radar right now. Uh, he's not been graded. Even if he doesn't play it down this year, I could see he's the type of guy that blows it up on pro day. And then I'm getting all kinds of calls from people say, Hey, you got to watch this kid who threw the ball at Washington state. Um, don't think he's going to be drafted uh, right now, but I think absolutely he's a guy that will be brought into camp and could be a practice squad player in the fall of 2020. Now we'll get to some week two previews in just a moment, but before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at believe.com 
leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. And with football season finally upon us, head over to VegasSportsAdvisors.com because if it's winners you want, VegasSportsAdvisors.com is here to help with a dozen pro handicappers posting information and picks on all the games. Use the promo code DRAFTANALYST with no space in between to unlock your free one-week trial today. Now, before we look ahead, a quick programming note. Due to me being out of the country for a week, this episode was recorded before most of the teams that we're about to preview played in week one. So if we happen to discuss a player who happened to get hurt or saw his projected role change, didn't see what he was expecting during the first weekend of games, forgive us. It's because we recorded early. So don't, don't get too mad at us for that. We'll move on to our first preview, though, after that little disclaimer. And it's a game we'll be watching between Syracuse and Maryland. The Syracuse passing game versus the Terps secondary is really a matchup to watch here. Maryland has two potential third-day picks on the back end, safety Antoine Brooks and cornerback Tino Ellis. They'll try to make life difficult. Before new arm starter Tommy DeVito is a four-star recruit of Dino Babers a few years ago. Big expectations taking over for Eric Dungy. Cuse is ranked in the preseason top 25 for the first time in a very long time. So this one should be fun. Yeah, and, and one thing you know about Dino Babers is he's going to let the ball fly. And he's going to find guys that are going to be able to score points uh, throwing the ball, especially throwing it down the field. We don't know who those guys are right now, especially at the receiver position. Uh, as probably Antoine Brooks uh, Jr. and Tino Ellis of, of Maryland don't, but I know this, it's a big challenge for them. Uh, I said this during our Maryland preview, I like Antoine Brooks' uh, ball skills better than this former teammate Darnell Savage, who was a first-round pick last year. Brooks is not the athlete that Savage is, but he's a terrific player. You can use him as a traditional free safety. He's got excellent range. You can use him over the slot receiver. He won't be a liability. I grade him as a fourth rounder, as some scouts do. Other scouts have him uh, further down the, uh, in, into the later rounds, but he's a real good uh, safety. Tino Ellis, he's probably not as polished in his game, not as refined in his techniques, but he's got much better size. And there are some people who think that he could move from a late round pick into the middle rounds, maybe even, even into the second day of the draft with a good uh, senior campaign, with good pre-draft workouts. It starts now for both Brooks and Tino Ellis against the, uh, you know, the usually high-flying, I don't even want to say Syracuse offense. I want to say the Dino Babers offense because that's what he's known for. Absolutely. And there is another Big Ten team to watch this weekend. Illinois is going to travel to UConn. And normally you would say, why are we watching Illinois-UConn? Because overall, there are some limited prospects on these teams. It's not a hotbed for NFL draft talent. But there is a battle in the trenches between a couple of potential third-day players between Huskies tackle Matt Hurt and Illinois defensive end Bobby Roundtree. Roundtree had seven and a half sacks last year, four and a half the year before. He's going against a tackle who has great length and athletic ability in Pert. And I know, Tony, these are two guys that you feel are underrated. Yeah, uh, two guys who play for programs that at times are unwatchable. Uh, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. You know, Roundtree's an underrated edge rusher. He's got uh, linebacker type size, but he's fast off the edge. He gets a lot of pressure up the field, did very well as a sophomore. And he's going to be going up against Matt Pert, who we talked about. And although we grade Pert as a fourth rounder, he's the type of guy that can move up draft boards and end up in the second day of the draft because of his athleticism, because of his skills and pass protection, because of his movement ability, uh, because he's been a very productive tackle. Uh, for 
going on three years now at UConn. The only thing about Purdue is, and I said this when we did our uh, our UConn preview back in June or whenever we did it, he's just got to develop a nasty attitude. He doesn't really look like he wants to bury opponents into the ground. If he does that, puts puts it all together, I could see him making a move into the top 100 choices. It starts against up against Roundtree, who is really basically a pass rushing specialist. Uh, Important game for both teams because both coaches are on the hot seat. UConn, it looks like they're going to go independent now that they're uh, moving out of the AAC. Um, if you are able to watch this game or you you know something uh, moves you to watch this game, watch the matchup between Purton and uh, Roundtree. It's probably the only matchup in this game that's worth watching. Now for the second straight year, Colorado is going to play Nebraska in their second game of the season. This time, though, the Buffaloes are the host. But last year, Quarterback Steven Montez, who we discussed on our last episode, the beginning of our Pac-12 preview, he threw for 351 yards and three touchdowns on the road against the Huskers defense. This defense this year features three potential third-day prospects. We actually spoke with defensive lineman Carlos Davis on episode 78. He's moving from defensive tackle to defensive end this year to make room for Oklahoma State transfer Darian Daniels. There's also linebacker Mo Barry. All of these guys make up a solid front seven for the Huskers that could pressure Montez and give him his first real big test of the 2019 season as he hopes to bounce back from last year. Yeah, and as you said, first big test because the Colorado State uh, team that he played against really has nobody on defense. I mean, that's a Swiss cheese defense. You mentioned the uh, three players in the, in the defensive front seven. They also got two outstanding players in that back seven and cornerback Lamar Jackson and uh, safety Eric Lee. Now, there are some scouts who think that Lamar Jackson could go as early as the sixth round. He's got excellent uh, size. He's going to be the one that's paired up against Chenault. Listen, this was one of the few games a year ago where Montez really stood out. If you watch the uh, Colorado-Nebraska game, it was a back-and-forth game. Montez helped pull it out with some great downfield passes to Chenault uh, before his season went downhill. The competition is just going to get tougher for Montez. This will be one of the tougher tests on the uh, schedule. As we said when we previewed him last year, you know, we're either going to get a guy who really improves off the back end of the 2018 film where he was terrible and could be a, uh, a, a second-day pick, or he's going to end up to be Tanner Lee, a guy who's just uh, selected late in the draft because of his physical skills, ironically, Tanner Lee, who played for Nebraska a couple of years ago. And this game is going to go a long way to uh, see whether or not Steven Montez is going to rebound off the terrible uh, back end of the 2018 season he, uh, he experienced. Now, you mentioned Tanner Lee as a potential comp for Montez, and obviously that's a downside type of comp, but – when I look at Montez, a lot of thoughts come to my head, and he was never as highly regarded as Christian Hackenberg was. But in terms of a guy who was very reliant on teammates, especially a big-time number one NFL receiver, I mean, Christian Hackenberg, when he had Allen Robinson, looked great. When Allen Robinson left and the offensive line fell apart a little bit, then Hackenberg didn't look as good. Still ended up being a second-round pick, though. Montez strikes me as a guy, especially when Chenault got hurt last year, that was a big part of his struggles. Do you think Montez is – a little bit too reliant on LaVisca Chenault? I, I mean, your, your argument holds water because when Chenault got injured last year, that's when it really went downhill for uh, Steven Montez. Uh, so, you know, there is something to that. Uh, I, I think you can make that argument. Uh, but I just, you know, I, I hate to say, you know, the comparison to Christian Hackenberg. Uh, and, and Hackenberg's uh, – uh, career really was never the same when he lost Bill O'Brien as, as the uh, head coach there. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see if a change in coaches 
helped Montez because it obviously did uh, did not help in the latter half of last year. I, I think the other problem is, is there just aren't a lot of weapons at uh, at Colorado. I mean, there's no tight ends to talk of. Their their second, third receivers are, are really uh, you know are, are, are adequate college players. So. You can make that argument, but I, I think the the converse argument or the con- contradictory argument is like, well, who else does Colorado have for Montez to throw the ball to? For sure. And that's it for the 85th episode of The Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. It's officially go time for the college football season. So our podcast moving forward, we'll break down what we saw from the prior weekend's games and preview what we expect to see the following week. As a reminder, everything that was once found at draftanalyst.com is now over at profootballnetwork.com. So head over to PFN for all of our summer previews, in addition to Tony's weekly risers and sliders and matchups to watch columns coming through for the rest of the season. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Thanks for tuning in.